rocking into April. Now, a lot of things happen over this weekend on the sports scene. By the way, this is Market Call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan there. Uh, it is Monday, April the 3rd, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. In just a minute, we'll have the great Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. This Market Call brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics. They're, in fact, powered by Tomorrow Dan. They're also our data provider. Uh, by the way, subscribe to our YouTube channel. What do you smash, smash something or subscribe Not or smash the like button, do something it, like it, yeah, just whatever, whatever it, you people do, bang. you do yeah. a great job. So there were a lot of sports this weekend and one thing actually made me happier than anything else. And it was not the Mets losing. It wasn't the Yankees <laughs> taking two or three. It wasn't the Rangers winning yesterday. It wasn't the Knicks winning yesterday. Uh, it wasn't LSU beating Iowa in the women's final. It was the U losing and not making it to the final game tonight. UConn throttled them to put them out of their misery. As you could probably tell, I'm not a big fan of the U or the people that walk around, you know, doing those signs all over the place. I don't know when they got the name the U. I don't know why they think of themselves as the U, but they are the gone now. How are you, Dan Nathan? I'm doing well. You know, guys, it's it's the first week of April. It's the yeah, first it trading day of April. It's the first uh, trading day of the second quarter. And let me tell you, I mean, we've been documenting it. You and I have been fighting it a little bit. What we try to do here is let's call it demystify. I mean, a little bit about like what the headlines are, um, what sentiment is, what the charts look like. That's why we have CB Dubs who joins us twice a week here. Um, you and I are not always going to be right. I mean, we felt... Um, write about a bunch of stuff as it relates to the economy, as it relates to the deceleration of the economy. Um, I got the market wrong. We, we had some good trades. We had some good directional stuff, but that happens here. And um, again, you know what? I think we're going to kind of make up for it in Q2 a little bit. And it kind of reminds me of this, you know, this great lyric uh, guy from April Come She Will, you know, by the, the great Simon and Garfunkel, when streams are right, and swelled with rain. I mean, I, wow. I, I feel I, I feel swelled with with something right now. But we're gonna make Q two rain here, people. Okay, that's just gonna that's just gonna happen. And I actually think, guy, a lot of the stuff that we've been pointing out um, is gonna come to fruition. I think the markets were just not pricing it in. Um, you know, somebody emailed me because I think I said it on Fast Money last week. I said, you know, the market's acting in a way um, without any fear in, in an environment, in an economic environment that should be just kind of like like putting the fear of God in in, in sorts of investors. And so thoughts on, on that notion, um, because that's how, listen, we saw this as the calendar turns sometimes, sentiment shifts on that one functionality it happened on january 1st it might happen again on april 1st guy mm -hmm. and it's interesting if you were just looking at the dow today you'd think the s p was up 30 handles and if you're just looking at the nasdaq today you would think quite the opposite and the russell's probably somewhere in the middle the vix nowhere north of 19. it's a fascinating day to start the month but i think your points are valid it, there is zero Fear, forget about what the VIX measures. And just in terms of the complacency out there, I mean, all the things that we talk about every day doesn't seem to be registering with some of the participants, specifically probably the passive investing, not crowd, but phenomenon. And, you know, that quarter end, month end on Friday, it was also some sort of rebalance, like some five letter thing that I probably should have heard of, but never have. Doug Cass pointed it out that the financial media wasn't talking a lot of it, but all those things contributed without question. But then, and we'll talk about this in a second. You get the news out of OPEC, which we'll address in a few minutes. 
I mean, all these things continue to point to, um, I don't know, I mean, the negative sentiment. And that, and then coupled with our first shot, our first screen, full screen, as they say, this ISM, which came out, was an unmitigated disaster. And the fact that, you know, men, the Dow stocks are as strong as they are on the back of that, it doesn't make any freaking sense to me. I mean, these are levels we last saw, you know, three or four months into COVID in June, uh, June or July of 2020, I think. It's, it's fascinating to me how the market seems to discount everything. And we have a number of people that were addressing that today, Dan. Yeah, I, I guess let's let's take a look at Jim Bianco, and you know, guy, that's that's a guy we got to have him on on the tape podcast. JB, um, yeah, we he comes on Fast Money, and he always does great work, and and he's very data driven, just like the rest of these folks that we have these tweets up here, Liz Ann Saunders, and obviously um, our Liz Young EY from SoFi, who is uh, a co-host with us on this fine market call program on Thursdays, and also on Monday's pod, which just dropped our Monday OTT pod. Actually, guys. Go check that out. Liz Guy and I had a great conversation. There's not going to be any overlap, actually, of what we talked about here because this is a very visual medium. We also had a great conversation with Caleb Silver. He is the investor or the editor in chief of um, Investopedia. And he had a, uh, I thought that sentiment survey that they did of a lot of their listeners is really interesting, the things that they're most focused on. So check that out in the podcast store. But here's Jim Bianco guy. So he's talking about this ISM reading and he said 12, 75% of these instances, this is the economy has either. Either, uh, in a recession or about to enter a recession he's talking about since 1948 um, as this chart shows this is the 16th time the ISM has been 46.3 or lower 12 times 75% of those instances the economy was either in a recession or about to enter a recession so I guess the question I have for you is that we are not in a recession okay we know that right now we might be entering a recession we won't know for two more quarters right whether we are in a recession and how long and how deep that recession is in like, do you want to buy stocks with the S&P up 7% on the year and, and up a lot more from the lows, right, in October, and the NASDAQ up 16% and the NASDAQ 100 up 20% again on the year, up a lot more from the lows? Do you want to buy stocks with an indicator that is screaming that we are very likely that there's a 75% chance that we will be in a recession in 2023. Do you want to buy stocks? Yeah, I mean, in, in couple, I mean, there probably are times historically, and I can't speak to the, you know, that, but when stocks were troughing into it and valuations were reasonable. So maybe you could get ahead of something in this case, I think quite the opposite is true where obviously inflation is a problem. The fed has just raised uh, nine months almost 500 basis points or so. The lag effects have not been felt yet, despite the fact that, you know, this ISM number was a disaster. Maybe that's the beginning of feeling that lag effect. And valuations are expensive. In, in a weird interest rate environment with all the geopolitical risks that are out there, and people seem to be saying, you know what, it's fine, just buy stocks, because historically that's been the right thing to do. You know, other than the fact that the market is, in my opinion, considerably expensive, this entire move has been based not on fundamentals, but multiple expansion. And that can only last so long, Dan. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You know, you go back to valuation and, you know, Mike Santoli on CNBC, who does a lot of heavy Yeoman's lifting. work. Yes, he does. You know, he, he pointed out 
that the equal weight, and he's done this a bunch over the last month, and I think it's great data. And he does, like like you say, he does a great job and does a lot of heavy lifting on that L work here. Um, but he pointed out that the equal weight S and P five hundred. Okay, so if you take out those top six names right. that make up twenty five percent, you know the multiple basically got down to about fourteen at the lows in October, which is you know what we've talked about. What's a trough multiple for the S and P five hundred? Now that is just kind of cherry picking, right? Because a big, uh, you know, a big earnings contributor to the S and P five hundred right. is obviously those big names. That's right. Okay? But 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 he's trying to make the point that there's you know hundreds of stocks that got into to the low teens, right? Um, and below that, as far as multiples are concerned. So valuation's a tricky one. And, and I guess the other point, you know, that I would just make about the market, to me, it's more sentiment. It's more that we have a 19 VIX in the middle of a banking crisis that is not over by any means. And we're going to talk about at the end of this show, some other ways in which that might be reflected. But here's the big one. Geopolitical has been one of the huge reasons why we've had this bout of inflation. Forget about the Fed and what central banks have been doing right a year ago at this time crude oil was partying because of russia's invasion right to ukraine and uncertainty about flows of energy and the like and look at what we we wake up this morning and we have this surprise cut from opec and look at this chart and carter's going to walk us through what he's seeing in the commodity index but look at that move from 18 month lows to almost its 200 day moving average on one headline guy mm-hmm. and you know surprise cut and People will watch us and say OPEC is sticking it to us, and it's true. Um, and believe me, I'm not siding with OPEC here. But what do you expect them? To, I mean, if anybody found this to be surprising, especially the administration, they're just not paying attention. Of course, there was inevitability to this thing. I mean, when we tap from the SPR, we're effectively doing what they're trying to do as well—price control, right? So, it doesn't really surprise me all that much. Um, the move higher doesn't necessarily surprise me. All that much. Actually, Carter sort of, as you said, previewed this last week. We traded basically up to the 200-day, maybe just short of it. We'll see what happens. But to me, this is the precursor of what I think is going to be, not necessarily for the underlying commodity, but a pretty robust time for some of these energy stocks. But it just makes, again, going back to what you were saying, just makes this Federal Federal Reserve job that much more difficult because obviously this is a big input on the inflation side. And if crude and the underlying products are going to get back on their horse, it's going to be a problem. And you said something earlier today. Now, you filled your truck up, and for the first time in a long time, that number had a $100 handle on it. And I think a lot of people out there are seeing the same things. Very quietly, inflation inputs are trending the wrong way for the Federal Reserve and, quite frankly, for the citizenry of this country. Well, and, and it's a really good point because the other thing is, is that, in you know, McDonald's just announced that they just mm-hmm. sent all of their U.S. employees home and they're going to be announcing layoffs. It's coming at a time where unemployment, we have this unemployment number on Friday, on Good Friday when the markets close, um, coming up where, where I think there's going to be increased trepidation about wages, about uh, the job security. And, you know, really since that bank run in Silicon Valley Bank and the other failures, you know, last month, we've seen a deceleration in a lot of consumer behavior. We've seen consumer credit go up. And this is at a time where interest rates, I know that, you know, the 10-year had been volatile, the two-year had been volatile, but lending rates are still you know, they're still high, much higher year over year. So this is all coming to a theater near you. This is what I think causes the S&P to go down in the year and the not so distant future. The NASDAQ, obviously, 
um, that might be a much taller task. Um, it would have to be a much harsher recession um, than, than maybe some are forecasting at this point. But I'm sticking to my guns here. Guy, really quickly before we get to Carter, the S&P, it picked its head up just briefly, you know, above the downtrend that's mm -hmm. been in place from early 2022. And the NASDAQ is just a different looking chart than this one. This is based, may make a, a bit of a pennant. But if you look at this one, you know, it gotten below that uh, or above that breakout uh, breakdown level from, you know, last spring of 2022. And again, this doesn't make, me any more bullish it's just that these charts look uh, i guess a bit more constructive let's bring carter in he's going to do some heavy lifting on the s p chart and we're also going to look at commodities and of course tesla carter braxton worth charting how are you but you and good. wait carter and i had an epic night on saturday we did with we did. our wives we we're in the madison square garden watching bruce springsteen and his amazing 17 piece east three hours and without a break it's 73 years old pretty impressive it was epic, right? You and I had to even take a seat uh, towards the end uh, when he went a little acoustic. Uh, yeah. Just so you guys know, and Guy, Guy was invited. Um, just, just he said, you guys go have a ball. Isn't that what you said, Guy? Pretty you much. Go yeah. have a ball. Long hair at the Madison Square. And Dan sent a picture. You probably should put it out on the Twitter. Mm -hmm. it was, it's lovely. I mean, and you're going tonight to see Bruce Springsteen at like Barclays Center or where, somewhere in I, Brooklyn or something, right? I, I am going to see twice in three days here you know that when he got the e street band back together in 1999 they played something like i want to say 11 shows in the month of august at the old brendan burn arena do you remember that and I uh, and i i think i went to half of them i think i went to like six of them i went to hartford i went to albany that summer i was all over the place so um it was a heck of a lot of fun carter was great being there with you and your wife oh, all right let's do this thing carter um we get let's be business like here um you're going to go through the s&p you did have this preview note of the commodity complex um that went out on worth charting friday afternoon that's why you guys have to be on that email um list and then we obviously are going to talk Tesla. So run us through the S&P here. I mean, again, Guy and I. I mean, just starting with what you guys are talking about. I mean, yep. it is it is multiple expansion, just to be clear, right? And and that's what's driven. The market itself, to start the year, right, was it at sort of 17 and a half times. And now it's 19 and a half. That's not much multiple expansion. Now, at the start of the year, of course, we don't have Q4 results. Here we are now, March early April, and we're going to start getting results. Uh, we did get Q4 results in January, February. But either way, the market multiple has gone from 17 and a half to 19 and a half. But consider the following. Tax multiple, the technology sector was 22. It's now almost 30. The NDX was 21. It's now 29. And the SOX, the PE multiple was 16 on Gen 1. It's 24 now. So Markets are meant to look ahead. They are discounting max, all the things that everyone knows, but a lot has been discounted or priced in, meaning mm -hmm. these numbers have to be good for this to stay where it is. But if they're not good or not good enough, I just don't see any other way forward than multiple contraction from here. Multiple contraction, Dan, but also earnings and revenue contractions as well. I mean, so it, it Again, people are paying up now thinking that we're going to get to the other side of this and they're front running what they deem to be the inevitable Fed rate cuts in the back half of this year, which I don't know, maybe they come to fruition. But Fed rate cuts are not going to be, I don't think, the salve that everybody seems to think they are. And maybe it's not people doing this. Maybe it's just 
the rise of the machines and you're just interpreting words and data and those types of things. But I will tell you, this is not an environment, I don't think, to be paying a premium multiple for things that are in contraction and for a very highly cyclical space, which is capital intensive in forms of a technology at a time when credit is going to get tightened. Anyway, back to you, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I think that's correct. And, and, you know, the way we started the show, um, you know, we're like, I don't really think we're being dogmatic. You know, we're thinking about like these different cycles that we've been through and let's say pre-recessionary cycles and how risk assets respond. And, you know, you think about a VIX that's, you know, 19 right here. And then you think about the volatility that we've seen in treasury yields and FX in commodities. Um, you know, there's something, you know, the, the chickens have to come home to roost sooner or later. And so, you know, 19, 18, those have been good levels to sell stocks since the start of 2022. So I'm sticking to my guns for all the reasons Guy just mentioned. All right, Carter, walk us through the S&P chart here, what you're seeing. And again, you know, you, you, you know, listen, you divorced the fundamentals, as you call them. You had a great April Fool's joke um, that you sent out to Worth Charting uh, about that, that you were uh, basically just going to, you know, you're disregarding charts. You're just going over the fundamentals here. But that was obviously a joke on, on Saturday. Talk to us about the S&P, what you're seeing sure. and what we, what, what we should well, be focused on. This first chart, I included it because it says nothing. That's the point. Like, if it didn't say SPX on the top, doesn't have to say worth charting on the bottom. It was just the lines that you see when you thought it was a sneaker company or a software company or a home builder. <laughs> There's not much about this setup that would make you say, geez, I got I to gotta buy that. Conversely, to be fair, there's not much about this setup that would make you say, at least make me say, I got to sell that. It's sort of a moment of equilibrium. It's finding its footing. It's finding its way. But let's take it back a bit further and put some lines in. So the question, and this is it, are we up against the downtrend line, which you annotated earlier and, and discussed? We are. Now, does it have to fail here? No. Has it come a long way? Yes. Is it at a level where the fundamentals, if and as they are not robust, will cause it to fail here? Yes. Let's look at a longer term and put it all in perspective. This is the entire channel in which the S&P has been ascending since the financial crisis low. You see the peak in 07, you see the trough, you see the COVID low, <clears throat> and we blew out through the top, which you can see there, in late 2021. And at that moment, the multiples are almost as high as the dot-com peak at price to sales, price to earnings for the S&P. And now we're just sitting here at the midpoint, kind of walking along the line. I mean, the best case scenario to my eye is that we continue to sort of limp along in a general upward trajectory. But I don't see anything, anything about this chart which would suggest great moves to the upside and the third scenario, of course, is that it just ultimately decays further and gets into the lower band. That's my thinking. Yeah, and it's interesting. If we could go back to Carter's chart, which illustrates that pennant. I mean, here we are, right? So again, if you didn't know what it was, what would you be inclined to do here? So if you're playing for a breakout, Dan, I think you're looking to get back to maybe the levels that we saw back in December, which I want to say, what was that, 4180 or thereabouts? I might be off by a little bit, but effectively that's what we're talking about. I mean, do you have a hope to get back to levels we saw a year and a half or so ago? I'm hard-pressed to believe that given the environment. So it would make 
the logic suggests we run out of steam here. And today's dichotomy, which is a very good word, you know, you see the Dow up significantly, but you see the NASDAQ down as significantly, if not more on a percentage basis, the S&P flat. And you're saying, you know, maybe this is the level where NASDAQ starts to underperform and that's when the S&P basically exhausts itself. So that's how I'm interpreting this. I'm not suggesting I'm right, but that's how I look at it, Dan. Yeah, and that, that's kind of my trade right here. I actually moved from the QQQ short um, uh, last week to the XLQ because 40-some percent of that is Apple and Microsoft. And and that Apple move, that 33% move off of those January lows, is it almost looks like a parabolic line in a straight line. And I think there's going to be a give back. And given how much that is off of um, it's 200 day moving average and all the excitement in Microsoft or, or regarding chat GPT. I think those are the things that, you know, have the ability to come in a couple turns on the multiple, especially if uh, earnings and guidance aren't particularly great towards the end of the month. Um, Carter, you know, this Bloomberg Commodity Index, you, you put out a note on Friday, and I think it's really important. You know, people, there's a lot of people who just don't buy into technical analysis, and we've talked about this a lot with you. Th these are fundamental people who are just like, you know, they, they're kind of old school or whatever. But you demonstrate time and time again how the technicals often lead fundamental news. Right. Okay? I, I, actually, just for a second, let me just address that. I, I'm with you. I didn't believe in it either. But you... One day, someone shows you that shows you, hey, pay attention to this for a second. It's not their fault. The people who don't believe in it, it's not your fault. I'll address you right now. You just have never seen the answer. You need to spend time and learn about it, and then you will accept it. I can attest to this. I have hundreds over 30 years, institutional portfolio managers running tens of billions of dollars at pension plans, endowments, who said, I don't want to be in this meeting. The salesman has made me come. You have five minutes. <laughs> and guess what? One after another have been converted. It has nothing to do with me. It could have been another technician. If you don't know, don't close your eyes to it. Spend some time on it and you'll learn a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons why it's important, like on a day like today, to kind of highlight the note that you put out on Friday afternoon that's timestamped. I mean, like it literally is timestamped about the Bloomberg Commodity Index. And let's talk about this for a second, because interestingly, I'm looking at the makeup of it. You know, 16 percent of it is gold now and then uh, about 50. 15% is crude oil, Brent, and WTI, which I think is really interesting, Guy, because it, it, isn't it your recollection that crude has often made up, it's been the largest component of that index, and the fact that you guys have both been bullish of gold, you've had a nice move in that thing, it is kind of equal weighted to that of crude, so... Talk to us, Carter, a little bit about what you were seeing last week, why you wanted to highlight this, and then you see a move in crude like this, which has got to be one of the biggest moves in a couple of years. Well, sure. So obviously it had nothing to do with uh, OPEC cutting. Of course, that's just a convenient thing for anyone who happened to talk about commodities uh, Friday morning. But we're, we're in the one-year anniversary of the spike um, in commodities, that spike you see there. In fact, look at the next chart. It sort of iterates it. There are the arrows. That spike, and let's do one more, and you can see the decline. That is the Ukraine invasion, right? Nickel, which was the big move, a five-fold increase. Russia controls nickel. And now that's March of 22. Here we are, March of 23. And that's a fairly unrelenting decline. And we also have the equal and opposite circumstance at the high. Crude was 140 a barrel. Wall Street predicted 200. 
and they predicted nickel will never stop, et cetera, and so forth. Now we have the opposite. Everyone's bearish on commodities. And when you get everyone on one side, it's usually right to take the other side. So the thinking was that this is a fairly extreme move in terms of magnitude, 30%, duration, a year. And then if we keep going on some of these charts, you'll see the sell-off where it leaves the index. So take a look at the next iteration. Well, first of all, this, of course, it's almost a 50% retracement. Halfway, you see the COVID low. You see the peak of the Ukraine invasion high. We've almost retraced half of that entire move. And then the next iteration, and from there, look at this. This is longer term. The next one, look at where we're down to, a level of support. Mm -hmm. Let's put in a green arrow. I mean, let's pull it back even further. Does it have to find support here? No, but you're at a level, a one-year sell-off down almost 30% to a level of support. Should we press it short here? No, I think if one has been short, cover, and then let's make a small long bet. Live to fight another day. And, you know, you talked about this last week, obviously, and I'll say this, we have seen cuts from OPEC before and you have not had the commensurate move uh, on the back of it because of the way the market might have been set up. You know, maybe the market was anticipating all the different times they cut uh, with a rally into it. This time, quite the opposite. Clearly, it caught the market offsides given the magnitude of the move. But it also shows you, to Carter's point, in my opinion, how overdone things got and the level that we reached uh, was no longer a place you wanted to press. Now, I think you do have shorts covering. And Dan, I think the next iteration will be when people try to start to get themselves long again. And I think that's sort of what's going on in gold in terms of getting long. And I think that's what's going to happen in some of these energy products. You're clearly seeing it in the underlying stocks. And it's yeah. true in response to the bank sell-off. I mean, copper didn't plunge. It was down, but not a lot. Nickel or corn or soybeans. But literally, oil went from 82 to like 62 mm -hmm. in like 10 sessions. Way overdone. And this just happens to be the, the bounce. All right. Let's talk about a bounce in an individual name um, that was to the tune of about 100% from the January lows, um, but it's still down. This is Tesla. Obviously, we're talking about Tesla topped out in late 2021 at $414. It got as low as 101 in January right now. It's trading at 194, just broke that a little bit to the downside. Um, the much anticipated um, deliveries for Q1, they came in at 423,000. I think consensus estimates and the guidance they gave was about 430. Um, after such a big run, you know, the stock also was up 7% on Friday into this. Um, I think, you know, I think some investors are disappointed. I'm short the stock, okay, and I'm long puts. Um, and I, you know, playing for a pullback maybe towards that $150 level. Um, but but listen, they've cut prices twice um, in the last few months here, and the the, the uh, deliveries from Q4 were up four percent. So it's telling you that there's some demand issues here, and might there be another price cut? So Carter, talk to us about the technicals because I'm looking at your chart, the first chart here that obviously is a very well defined downtrend. Um, but you know, would you have loved to have seen this thing kiss? the upper band of that downtrend and, and had greater conviction, maybe if you were looking to play for a move lower or, or talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in the charts in Tesla. Well, to your point, it is very well defined, right? Those are mathematically parallel lines. I didn't make them fit. I used a function that gives you two parallel lines. And so 
you have a stock that we all know drops 75%, 400 plus to 100. But what's most remarkable, of course, is that it was 150 or 200 even, and it plunges by half and recovers up 100% back to 200. We're at an inherently difficult level, but to your point, we're not all the way back to the upper band of the, of the downtrend. Let's put some arrows in just to annotate how precise this is. So do we have to get to that final arrow? Not necessarily. My thinking here would be short. And if and as it continues to climb, goes against you, press your shorts. Yeah. And if you try to take emotion out of the equation when it comes to this, it's interesting. You know, we talk about, listen, it's pretty well versed dance feelings about Elon Musk and Tesla and stuff. And what I learned in the early days of fast money is you could say something negative about somebody's kids and they wouldn't bat an eye. But if you were to say something negative about Apple, even remotely, the hate mail would be interesting. And that's made its way to Twitter. And now that's true with Tesla. But again, if you take emotion out of the equation, you know, a couple, a month and a half or so ago, when it was a $215 stock, collectively, we sat here and said, look, it would make sense, given this move, to have a 50% retracement back to 165 As a matter of fact, I want to say it was March 10th. Don't at me if I'm off by a day. We actually traded down, I think, 163.86, bounced that day, and now here we are. But the bounce to the levels we just saw, um, we failed to get to the recent highs. So I think Carter's right. It doesn't necessarily need to get there. Um, and I think this thing starts to trend lower. This is sort of the news cycle or the news peg people were waiting for. And clearly in terms of the stock today, at least people are disappointed, Dan. Yeah. I mean, listen, again, the stock ran up, you know, like Friday like that. And that was actually painful for me. I, I actually doubled up my position um, and I'm going to take a little off. And so for some of you guys who think that I've just been short, you know, I, I think it was on CNBC in late January. And I said at 160 after the earnings, that's where I started um, uh, shorting it. And it, you know, obviously went up to 200 and something dollars. I was trading around it. I detailed it on here, how I've been trading around it. I've been using options. Um, also I've been using the TSLQ and it's been a good trading vehicle. And so am I down on it this year? Yeah, man. But you know what? I was also leaning into it at 300 bucks last year, you know? So, um, it's been a great trading stock to me. I feel like that two price cuts, both China and here, and the looming recession that I feel pretty confident that we're going to have not being an economist. I think there's no way that this company um, doesn't avoid, you know, further deceleration in both pricing margins uh, and the stock price. So that's my, that's my take. I am a bit emotional about it, but my emotion has actually served me pretty decently in the trading um, of it. So there you go, people. All right. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. We had an epic Saturday night. We had an epic Monday market call. Um, we'll see you back here on Wednesday. Thanks so much for doing all this work for us. You buddy. See you Wednesday. I was Thanks, hoping guys. that somebody came up to him and said, aren't you the no emojis, no hearts, just charts guy, but apparently didn't, it happen. didn't happen. We, we were a little late. We got in there after he was into uh, no surrender. So, um, you know, like all of Carter's fans didn't get to see him in the, in the halls of uh, MSG. So thank you, Carter. We'll see you soon, buddy. All, all right. right. Hey, guys, before we get out of here, let's hit a couple things really quickly. Um, I want to hit the KRE. This is the the, the regional bank index. And, you know, again, uh, you know, we've been focusing a lot on financials. It's pretty fascinating that the KRE is down one and a half percent today. Um, and the XLF is basically um, unchanged here. So we've had the XLF came down pretty hard in the throes of the initial kind of Silicon Valley Bank and the First Republic and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. 
but it's caught a bid. It's gone from like 30 to 32. This is one that I am short of. I'm long puts in. Um, I really do think that we're going to have some issues when we get to um, the money center bank earnings. I just think that the guidance is going to be weak. I think there's going to be pressure on, um, on cash return here. But let's look at the KRE, the one year. It really feels like it's about to make a new year low. This is the five year at a really big level. What are your thoughts right here? And there's also been a lot of focus on Schwab. You were on CNBC's last call mm-hmm. at sure. on Friday afternoon. Our friend Max Myers and Sully. It was a great program, great hit. Look at this thing, guy. It's below 52. It's making new lows. And you'd think that thing would, like, I don't know, man, find a bottom sooner or later. And I just don't know how that doesn't get reflected ultimately in the XLF. There's no bounce. Um, I mean, there's some individual names that have bounced. But if you look at these ETFs, there's really been no meaningful bounce and on against a tape that's obviously to the point we've been making earlier it's done pretty well so i think the banks are telling you something and i find it fascinating and this is not directed at any one individual but you know so many people will talk about how the banks lead and the banks were so strong and the broader market should then follow but when it's reversed they say well the banks don't have as much import as they used to you really can't have it both ways i mean if you think about it and you we talk about this credit and capital drives everything. So much of this economy is predicated on that. And you know, you think about it, these banks are going to be challenged going forward, given what happened. Credit is going to tighten. I'm just telling you. And their ability to make money will be affected by that. So almost by definition, their earnings are going to start to contract. And that's not bullish. So you could say, yeah, valuation, book value, all that stuff. I get it. You look at this chart and... Does it doesn't? I mean, to the blind eye, we should have bounced from those levels, and there's been no bounce whatsoever, Dan. Yeah, and to your point on credit, and we've been talking about Blackstone. I think since October, November of last year, they have what they call their B REIT. This is the Blackstone mm-hmm. Real Estate Investment Trust. They had to put gates up in the fall. Yeah, why do they have to put gates? I mean, it's in, and I'm not meaning to interrupt, but Danny Moses alluded to this. It didn't allude to it. He spoke to it on our podcast that dropped on Friday. I mean, that actually would have been a run, but for the fact that they were able to put those said gates up back to you. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's the point here. And when you look at this downtrend guy, I mean, like literally, you know, it's just about as well defined um, as it gets. We saw the stock um, Blackstone crescendo into year end. That might have been tax loss selling, a whole host of other things, a massive rally right back to that downtrend it got above its 200 day moving average it failed it's below that and if you look at that support level that we've drawn it's really from the uh pre-covid highs and and you know that's about 65 bucks here so here we are we're just under 85 or so i mean i think you have a retest of the low 70s coming in this thing and again keep an eye on these headlines if you're talking about credit it seems like there's a lot of focus on you know office REITs right and so um if you keep seeing defaults or gates being put up in some of these REITs I just don't know how the money center banks don't follow suit after that so um that's my two cents last thing guy before we get out of here Look at this Apple chart. And you just said, listen, just so you know, people, guy never talks shit about anybody's kids. He's actually, he's an absolute mensch to most young people that I know um, here. 
But um, the fact that you felt that you would probably get more hate mail about talking some smack about Apple on CNBC than you would if you said somebody's kid is lazy. Um, look at this chart. This is from its highs in uh, January of 2022 here. You see where it failed. You see that 200-day moving average where it is. It's below that very steep uptrend. It would have been absolutely beautiful if it could have gotten to 169 or so. Um, this is what Carter was saying also in the Tesla. Your take on Apple, if it were to have one last push, it's going to be a retest of that uptrend and possibly the two yeah, are coming. It's interesting. You know, when things were at their weakest recently is when Apple started gaining steam again. And, you know, that flight to perceived quality in the form of Apple and some of these other big tech names has typically been the precursor to um, an, another broader sell-off. So this is, in my opinion, I look at this and the last couple of weeks have been sort of this last gas move. By the way, we thought the stock could go down to 125. We said, buy it when it gets there. Well, guess what? Where it traded down to. I did not think, if I'm being honest, which I am, we'd see a move to these levels. So I thought maybe we get back to 150 or so. And we did that in short order. But the second leg hires caught me off guard. But it makes sense. You know, this, again, perceived flight to quality is what's going on. But Apple's not impervious to what's going on in the broader economies globally. I mean, they make shit that people want to buy. It's really that simple. And you can talk to them about install base and all that stuff yeah. i get it they get rewarded for that in the form of their multiple which is expensive in this environment well here maybe jacob can put this tweet up really quickly this is from the macro alf um who's actually oh, been like on the market call. Yeah, yeah no he has and and this is some data from jp morgan let's see if you can get this up here he's saying jp morgan shows how the rate of u.s excess savings is likely to be totally depleted by june of 2023 and you know, again, I mean, you and I are not highlighting this stuff because we take any pleasure. I mean, listen, we run a small business and, you know, we we have families. We live in an expensive place, high tax district, you know, this, that. The other thing, I mean, you know, we're feeling a lot of the same pressures that everyone else is feeling. Um, and sometimes because we're, you know, in this group of people, if you're watching this, who are focused on the markets and we're trading and we're investing. And sometimes you kind of divorce some of the reality of just everyday folks, right? Like guy and you talk a lot about this but these are all things that you know are are, are like getting worse before we've even had the, the 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 recession declared and you know what's that saying that you have about a recession it's a it's a recession if you're if your your neighbor loses, loses his or her job it's a depression when you lose yours <laughs> that's as old as you know that goes back to probably the eisenhower administration by the way i voted for ike uh, back in the day, back you, to you. So you're saying you liked Ike. I'll no doubt about that. it. If you recall, see, you went down this road, not I, but yeah. Arthur Fonzarelli uh, was campaigning for Eisenhower against Richie Cunningham, who I think he was, I think if I'm not mistaken, he was running against Adelaide Stevenson, not Fonzie, yeah. uh, General Eisenhower. So R Richie was a big Adelaide Stevenson guy, and Fonzie's Basically, he came up on stage and said, I like Ike, my bike likes Ike. And that was his campaign. And as it turns out, it worked because obviously Eisenhower won. Back to you. Yeah, that that that's a fact. I missed that show. Yeah. Um, you know, you missed you miss it or you missed that show. No, you know what? It was good old fashioned fun back then. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's funny. Like back then, the sitcoms, my parents, when I was growing up in the 80s, guy, they used to hate all the sitcoms on TV because they 
thought all these all the people did was make fun of each other. You know what I mean? Kind of like look to be little. And you know, as a parent now, I look at that sort of stuff and I agree. And I thought Happy Days was trying to have a, a lot of fun with stuff. So I appreciate that. Maybe um Jacob can throw this tweet up right here. So um, so people, you might've noticed I have a new Twitter handle. It's at Dan Nathan RR. Um, I got bounced off of Twitter, my at risk reversal handle. And if you go to this new Twitter handle of mine, you can see why I made an April fool's joke, but this is somebody, um, th this tweet, we're just going to highlight this. This is Stu Gatz 44, which I freaking love that, that handle guy at Stu Gatz 44. I mean, come on. And he's saying, uh, on a dope scale of one to 10, you are a billion. So Stu Gatz, 44. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that, buddy. I'm, I'm clearly, you know, I, is that your, what do they call that? Like that avatar thing? You, so yeah. your avatar is him, even well, though it's. So what happened was I made, I made a, um, I made an April Fool's joke. Okay. So April Fool's is April 1st every year, guy. You can take that to the bank. Yeah. Okay. And so a lot of people on the internet um, they make these jokes, you know, they do these things and this and that, or whatever. So back in January, I was on CNBC's fast money. I was talking about Tesla and Elon Musk responded to the video saying that this guy is a doofus, meaning me, this guy called me a doofus. Okay. Um, and he said, he believes everything that is written about him in the media. So as an April fool's joke on Saturday, I quote tweeted that tweet that he had about me calling me a doofus and i made a good old-fashioned joke and then you know within an hour or so uh my account is permanently suspended and i didn't think that was very nice but it is what it is now i'm at dan nathan mm. um at rr that dan nathan rr so follow it people enjoy it have a ball so i gotta follow that now i it, you know oh, you don't follow me you don't I, that is a snub of all snubs, no well no right? i was following you before do i get do i just get sort of grandfathered in no, I, I mean, it's a new account, you know, it so is. I have to find it. That's what you're saying. But you know, what's interesting about that. And I'll just say this works. I mean, I'll just say this. Okay. Um, supposedly Elon Musk paid $44 billion for Twitter in the name of free speech. And if you troll him on Twitter in a way that he or uh, Twitter, you know, support or safety or trust and safety don't like you get suspended. You know, I've been on Twitter since March of 2011. I have been uh, contributing content uh, on a daily basis um, since then, you know, in, you know, with a lot of engagement, you and I have been doing a lot of stuff. And I just think it's kind of funny, you know, like that seems like not in the ethos um, of free speech. So um, it is what it is, Elon. Uh, it is your platform. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, you paid $44 billion in October. You got a bunch of banks to lend you $13 billion to help you do it. You got a bunch of your friends, all the technorati, all those libertarian geniuses out there um, to kind of pony up a bunch of equity. And then last week, you just marked down the value, supposedly, this was reported, I think, by the information of that company that you paid $44 billion for in October to $20 billion. So you obviously know best um, what's what's right for the platform. So um, have at it, buddy. Uh, enjoy. Was that a rot? Was that what that's called? Well, I, I mean, listen, you know, I also saw something on Twitter, obviously, which is kind of meta. And I don't mean the Facebook guy, but it's kind of meta um, that the Guinness Book of World Records, um, I guess he's lost more money than any human on the planet earth. Um, and so maybe if he finally gets his ass over to Mars, he will not only have lost more money than anybody uh, on planet earth, but also who has approached Mars. So wow, I that's like that. that. Well, it's like it. one of those records, like it's interesting. I mean, now I'm going down. 
you know, Cy Young has two records that will never be broken in baseball, and he has the most wins of all time. That's 511. And Elon Musk, to your point, was probably the wealthiest man of all time at one point. Yeah. And Cy Young also has the most losses of all time as a starting as a pitcher, as any pitcher. And to your point just now, uh, Elon Musk has now lost more money than anybody. So it's interesting you can have both those uh, platitudes, if you if you yeah, may. you know. And I want to I want to make a really this is let's bring it back to the markets for a second. I know we got to go here. Are you, are you jackassing into the city for fast money today guy or no? No, I am not. I okay. have to actually go shave and comb my hair. Somebody you have commenting little, on my hair. You have a little time. So, so it's really interesting. You know, we had Josh Brown and Michael Batnick of compound and friends. We just call them the compound pod bros. Um, they were on with you and me last week. So that is in the, uh, on the tape podcast feed so you can find it there and we were talking about kathy wood right and so she's obviously been a huge proponent of tesla bitcoin a bunch of what what, i'm just going to do air quotes here innovative tech um and you know we're talking about her performance and josh said in one year i think it was 2021 all six of her funds doubled that's never happened in the mutual fund business ever but it's interesting if you think about how much all of her etfs are down from the all-time highs in 2021 okay so from peak assets Okay, she's lost like 80%. So she's lost more money than she's collectively, than she's ever made collectively for any investor. Like, think about that. And you want to say to her, she's a genius. She's doing something good in the markets because she has that record. And so it's really funny about Tesla and all these people. Like, the assumption is that most stocks that go down 75%, like once they reach a certain market cap, never, ever go back to those all-time highs or take years. And if you think about the NASDAQ, it took 14 years Mm -hmm. to get back to its bubble highs. So for all of these people who are so convinced because Tesla's gone from 101 in January to 192 and a half where it is right now, that it's going to be back to its old, you know, like, like thing down from $414. Okay. Like actually there's a much higher probability that my $150 target in the near term is much greater than 240, in, in my opinion. Okay. So it's just kind of interesting when you think about it. There was that guy who had the big short, and I'm not talking about Burry, who is the, uh, I'm totally spacing on that guy. Oh, Paulson, right? Who made the big bet. He lost more money from peak assets. Okay. Like after the financial crisis. I mean, the list, Citadel. Okay, like lost 50 percent from peak assets, you know what I mean, into the financial crisis. So, again, you want to say it's genius. A lot of returns are about luck, you know what I mean? And so that's one of the reasons why I think you and I sit here. We love chatting stocks. We love chatting markets. We're not your broker. We're not your hedge fund manager. We're not your RAA. We're not claiming to be any of that stuff. We're just calling balls and strikes. And now we got a fi- we got a little bit of a faster situation in the batter's box here. We're just going to keep doing it, guy. How did you feel about that? Nice job. By the way, Matrix of Compassion was comparing Elon to the great Kent Colby for you uh, <laughs> 70s baseball fans out there. Kent Colby probably weighed, there it is, about 145 pounds. I mean, it's amazing that he was able to do what he did for the period of time that he did it. Uh, for the Pirates of Pittsburgh, if memory serves, Dan, but I know you're not interested. That's neither here nor there. Uh, I will tell you what's not happening tonight as I started the show. The University of Miami will not be playing in a national championship game. What a shame. Uh, such a storied institution. If you went there, I apologize. Not really. But that's it for Market Call, Dan. Uh, I want to thank, obviously, FactSet 
financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Pre please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash the beep out of the like button. If you like it, I want to obviously thank Carter Braxton Worth and the audience that is here making comments left and right. I'm sorry I didn't get it to any today. Tomorrow will just be the two of us on a CME day, Dan Nathan. Yeah, it will be. All right, we'll do it tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks for my little rot or allowing me to do that. Maybe there'll be a couple more of those this week, guys. That's just showing our max frustration with the markets here. And usually when we do that, we're within a day or so of a top. So uh, enjoy, people. Thanks. Thanks.